This is your captain speaking. Mm. I'll tell you. What a wild year 2020 has been so far. I mean, we got <laughs> just all kinds of nightmares. Blockades and threats of changes in gun laws. You know, and to top it all off, uh, <laughs> I mean, could they have handled the COVID-19 situation any worse than they did? Oh, my God. Like, I mean, what kind of no-brainer is it to shut down the borders temporarily and stem the flow? You know, just immediately cut off the supply, <clears throat> potentially, of uh, the virus jumping borders, you know, coming across an ocean. You know, all it would have taken is shut down the flights, bring back all the essential people, people who live here, uh, quarantine everybody. You know, that would be the smart thing to do, you know, and it would cause some confusion and some unhappy people. Sure. Um, but I think the government is very accustomed to making people feel unhappy. It's not a big stretch to think that it wouldn't have taken much, you know, to have handled this completely differently. You know, but instead we're, you know, uh, awarded to daily updates from our illustrious leader as he emerges from, uh, you know, the ultimate man cave, I'm sure. Uh, he's staying at home. Uh, <laughs> I don't blame him. Uh, man, I tell you, if I had pissed off that many people, I wouldn't want to be out in public either. You know, uh, anywhere he's floating publicly, he's going to run into, I'm sure, some stern opposition, uh, some expressive people. And, you know, can't have that. Can't have the public thinking that you're actually, you know, screwing up. Uh, it's it's really unfortunate, you know, that daily we suffer through addresses given by uh, Justin Trudeau. <clears throat> you know, uh, I'm sure he's being spoon-fed questions. Uh, you know, he, he definitely, uh, on a couple of occasions I saw he was unhappy with the question and you can immediately see that expression on his face that says, uh, you know, that'll be your last press conference. <laughs> you know, he's obviously learned to, you know, just smile <laughs> and, you know, to listen to him speak, it, it just, it's painful. I, I can tell you as a, a proud Canadian uh, I've never been more disgraced uh, by our government. You know, seeing seeing the <sighs> phrases like, you know, we've done everything possible from the very beginning. And it's like, no, no. Like, uh, how dare you mislead the people like that? Like, what a shame that people wouldn't know the truth. That there was a lot more that could be done. And uh, you guys passed. Uh, people were stamping their feet and saying, hey... You know, now, of course, uh, instead, you know, we're treated to, um, you know, the possibility of, of being, you know, confined in terms of our movement and, you know, uh, to uh, give the police and uh, peace officers the power to, you know, ticket people, you know, $1,000 fines or $850 fines. Like, that's, that's something else. And we understand... <clears throat> that the officers are uh, afforded discretion. But the truth is, is that that's a lot of power, you know, to uh, stop people from being in public spaces, uh, you know, 
if you're uh, at any point uh, at a stage where you know you have to produce um, you know a certified you know notice of approval for your being out like I mean that sounds a lot like documents you know and so <clears throat> coming from a police background I can tell you right now I mean to the average uh, rank and file guy I'm sure they don't want the burden. They know they're going to see a lot of unhappy people. I'm sure over time that will wear on people, uh, you know, on the front lines. Uh, people want to be out, and I, I get that. And if they're doing it safely, I understand you can exercise discretion, you know. And if that means that, you know, you've got, you know, a couple of friends that get together and they stand eight feet apart and they just want to, uh, you know, talk, you know, publicly and, and air out their thoughts and, you know, uh, get some fresh air, and, and nobody's in any real danger and nobody, you know, gets close to one another even, uh, but we're just out socializing and talking. The, the very idea that, you know, police could roll up on you and say, go home or, you know, what are you doing here? Uh, demand identification. It, it's, it's a little, it's a little disturbing. Uh, and I've been on both sides. I, you know, I've been in that position where I've, you know, demanded uh, people's information. Uh, but usually there's, there's a, a crime that's been committed uh, and or a good a good reason for it. And, uh, you know, like it bangs right on back to the issue of carding and, uh, you know, like, are we giving police the authority to just stop randomly anybody they want and demand, uh, you know, uh, that they identify themselves. And, you know, the public uh, definitely was persuaded into thinking that that was a bad thing at some point, that perhaps uh, some groups had been targeted unfairly. Uh, I, I can tell you that, you know, the police don't care. Uh, there's enough bad guys out there to keep everybody busy. Uh, we don't need to bother with the, uh, the people that are well-behaved would be probably the answer you get from, from most cops uh, that were honest. You know, now being outside of it, uh, you know, I'm allowed to speak more freely. Uh, I'm entitled to an opinion. Uh, when, uh, when you leave policing, uh, you realize that, you know, you don't have to necessarily agree anymore with, uh, you know, the organizational goals or, you know, some facet of the administration of policing. So I, I, I've left policing and now, you know, I could offer an opinion on the subject. I, I definitely have many, uh, <clears throat> but I actually really appreciate, you know, uh, the need for carding. You know, I, I get that, you know, you got bad guys that are always being bad guys. And if you ask any of the good police, they'll tell you, you know, exactly who they are and, you know, if they're packing and, and to give them the authority to stop those kind of people. Uh, I could tell you that their police are not in the business of, you know, stopping just anybody to talk. Uh, usually there's a problem, you know, and or somebody's broken the law or, you know, uh, they're known to not uh, be legally able to uh, frequent certain areas, uh, you know, hang out with certain people. And to make, uh, you know, people stop and identify themselves, uh, you know, looking for that kind of infraction, you know, where people are congregating where they shouldn't be, you know, like criminals, you know, and they do that. <laughs> You know, uh, the public calls into the police all the time saying, get them out of here. I don't want them here. Uh, they can be quite visible. Uh, it's interesting to see with the, you know, this COVID virus, if people have kind of gone underground. Uh, I'm kind of waiting for a large explosion of violence <clears throat> from the uh, people in the gang communities. Uh, certainly, of course, it never has anything to do with legal firearm owners. Uh, but coming back to you know, the subject of, you know, being able to disperse large groups, uh, it really does beg a lot of questions. <laughs> You know, like, isn't it interesting? Uh, we've got, you know, a virus coming from China. 
And, you know, and I, and I say that half jokingly because uh, Donald Trump certainly made a good point you know, that that's where it came from. And then that's not being racist. That's just, you know, that's just a fact. It just that's that's the country it originated. And, and so, you know, it's interesting to see people get so bent out of shape over Trump, uh, you know, making comment on that subject. I know I dart around a lot, but I mean, it's been it's been an interesting week uh, when you spend a lot of time, uh, you know, doing all the things you should have been doing, you know, maybe perhaps for months, uh, cleaning out the garage, you know, catching up on that reloading. Uh, maybe you're reading a book. You know, there's lots of things you can do to pass the time, uh, you know, as people find themselves searching for things to do during uh, COVID season. Hold on one second. I know some of you guys wonder how I can talk this much. Uh, <clears throat> uh, you guys keep on tuning in. I'll keep on doing this. Uh, I wanted to share with you guys uh, something recently that's happened, and and I think it's worthwhile uh, sharing it with uh, you know the people who are not firearm inclined. And I know I talk a lot about politics and uh, certainly I talk about policing. I know you guys want to know more about the guns. Uh, I've heard a lot of people asking, you know, for us uh, here at the Canadian Gun Vault to share more of our experiences uh, with the guns. And I could tell you that uh, something really special came my way and I, I couldn't pass, you know, especially with everything going on. Uh, you know, I, I, I have to, you know, try and explain to the people out there that, don't, uh, you know, understand firearms and uh, the history connected to firearms and the uh, significance, you know, of firearms, the pure enjoyment uh, that people get shooting firearms and uh, collecting firearms and, you know, researching. Uh, there's, there's so many different uh, disciplines within, you know, this firearm community of ours. It's, it's incredibly Interesting, and I would recommend that anybody you know uh, responsible enough uh, that they think that they might uh, be able to be around firearms and operate them after being trained safely. You know, I would encourage anybody you know to take a look at it. It's great. It's a great passion. I can't even call it a pastime or a hobby. Like you know, it's bordering on religion. Um, you know, for some people, uh, you, you just really throw yourself into this activity that revolves around uh, this this well these machines. And that's really all they are. They're, they're machines. And a lot of people, I think, uh, equate firearms with these, like, you know, death rays. And they're, they're really misunderstood. Like, ultimately, they're, they're like a, well, they're like an air compressor. You know, whether they use an explosion or the expansion of rapidly, uh, you know, expanding gases there um, to propel projectiles. So, I mean, it's like shooting bows and arrows it's you know it's basically propelling uh an object and the ob objective is to hit a target you know whether that be steel or paper uh you know uh, not everybody that shoots guns hunts uh you know i'm one of them i have you know threatened to go out with my friends hunting i know that i'll uh, trample around in the bush uh you know in a very noisy way that's probably going to scare everything from you know, uh, 20 miles out, I, I've, I've threatened to go shooting with my friends, you know, um, you know, in a, in a hunting sort of role. And, you know, it's never really happened. I, I want to do it at some point, but uh, I think uh, that it's very important that everybody understand, you know, how uh, unbelievably uh, amazing, you know, a contribution that the hunters make to uh, the preservation of the environment. And uh, for the people out there that aren't familiar with hunting, uh, I can tell you that there's so much that goes into it, so much, 
expense and, and time and, and dedication. And, and ultimately, all the money that's generated from hunting goes right back into preserving the environment. And it's, it's a very large industry, and it certainly does its fair share of supporting. Uh, you know, the preservation of species, the monitoring of species. And I mean, it's really important to maintain a healthy balance in nature, uh, to have hunters. And there's people out there that say that that's not, you know, really necessary anymore. We have grocery stores. Like, I mean, that meat comes from someplace uh, that we enjoy, uh, you know, so often. It just so it just so happens that the meat that the hunters get is the most organic and it's probably the most natural way uh, you're ever going to get it, the best tasting uh, you know, like if it, anybody who's ever, you know, enjoyed the spoils of a hunting trip, whether you went or not, like uh, the, the meat just tastes delicious. I mean, it's not going to get any fresher. Um, you know, so, so back to, you know, our community, you know, uh, we, we love the firearms that we own, we operate, we shoot, uh, we have licenses. And I mean, when you look at the statistics, like we're not connected to crimes in any way. So you got this large group of people and they're enjoying these machines, which uh, agreeably, they're very dangerous. And that's why we have the training and the certification and all the rules and regulations that people abide by. Uh, you know, by and large, you, you've got about two and a half million gun owners. There's about 20 million guns in circulation in Canada, uh, you know, legally, they're, they're not really part of any uh, demonstrable sized uh, portion of the gun crime. Like we're talking about like a fraction of the percent <laughs> of a single percent. And when you think about it, it's really, really kind of sad to see such a good group of people uh, punished for things that they're not doing, you know, with sudden changes in law. So anyway, uh, one of the things that's come up, of course, is that, you know, Billy Blair, you know, is, is hell bent and determined to push, uh, you know, the ban, outright ban of uh, assault style rifles, and he calls them weapons. And so, you know, they're, they're going to get around to us at some point, but, you know, they're, they're looking at these style of rifles and, and they've convinced the public in some respects, um, you know, that this is an important thing to do, although they've never had a survey turn out that way. If you look at those numbers, you'll, you'll laugh. Uh, we were crushing a lot of the, uh, the surveys that were out there. Good job, everybody. But, you know, Billy Blair is looking and targeting these, you know, assault style rifles, uh, very specifically the AR-15. And, you know, I just couldn't resist in all this madness, the, uh, <laughs> the temptation to get myself another AR-15. So that's what I did. I, I had been looking for one for quite some time. A good friend of mine, a uh, proud unknown Canadian, contacted me and he said, look, I know where there's uh, an old school uh, AR-15. And I'm thinking, OK, well, you know, I love the AR-15 line of rifle. Um, you know, those who know me know that I, I have a doe and I love that thing. It's a lot of fun. And then I managed to snag myself an XM, you know, the, the clone and uh, the E2 clone, XM 1772 clone. And so, you know, and they're both from the Colt family. And I thought, you know, <laughs> cause everybody has, you know, ARs and ARs are such an amazing, you know, firearm to have that they're so modular in so many ways. Now that the design has evolved and it's, it's become this really great, uh, easy to use, easy to maintain platform with, you know, a lot of parts, um, you know, that are interchangeable that, I mean, you can, you can have so many different versions of this great gun. I mean, from long range target shooting to, you know, something short and fast and, and cool looking, uh, different calibers. I mean, this, this, this rifle is just such an amazing, it's like, it's like Lego, you know, uh, I've heard one of the range officers at Urban Tactical referring to it as the Honda Civic. 
you know, of, of firearms. Like it's just this incredibly, um, you know, fun to use, uh, platform that has a, you know, huge aftermarket support and, you know, just so many different, uh, varieties that you can have and, and calibers. And I mean, it's really an, it's really an incredible gun. So, so, you know, and it's used in competitions and, you know, in the United States, uh, it's used for hunting. It was used for hunting in Canada too. Uh, you know, not to the same degree as perhaps in the United States, but this thing was originally designed to be, you know, a, a sporting rifle. And the military adopted it and they, you know, made some changes uh, that, that made them uh, different. And by different, I mean like the, the military grade, the actual military grade, you know, uh, platform of that rifle is different. And it, it operates like what most laymen would call a machine gun. You know, that's that's what the military got. They got a version of the sporting rifle. So it's actually designed to be, you know, a lightweight um, you know, rifle and, and the guys that were issued these things in Vietnam, you know, uh, must've, <laughs> must've laughed because I mean, originally, um, you know, there were, you know, M M14s, uh, I believe still kicking around, uh, during the early days of Vietnam. But, you know, when you think about what some of the older soldiers would have had access to things like, you know, M1 Garand style rifles, like bigger guns, like that M M14, um, you know, to see this, this, plastic, you know, lightweight stamp parts, you know, like that doesn't look like it's going to hold up if I bang it against something. Like when you've got guys that are used to like a very robust, uh, you know, World War II, uh, you know, inspired design of rifle to be handed something made with plastic parts. Like what? Like I, I can only imagine what the guys in the early days of Vietnam must have thought. Uh, you know, as they sat there looking at what they, they, I believe they called them like Mattel guns, you know, cause the foregrip was you know, made of plastic. The buttstock was made of plastic. The bullet was tiny, like, you know, like what? And, you know, there was, there was kind of, um, a, a movement to carrying more ammo. And, and that's, that's something that I believe is the progression uh, of battle, you know, kind of strategies is if you can keep a guy in the fight longer, you know, um, you know, whoever can kind of outlast, and, and, and so carrying more ammunition may, became more important than carrying more powerful, uh, larger, heavier ammunition. So the troops in Vietnam uh, eventually were issued these, you know, M-16s. And, you know, they, they had some very early versions uh, that, that evolved very quickly. Uh, they saw that there were a couple of perhaps uh, changes they could make in the design uh, for one reason or another. You know, there were, were needs for uh, improvements or upgrades. But the earliest uh, M16 rifles, and the M16, uh, for the people that don't spend a lot of time around firearms, is the military version of, you know, the uh, AR-15 rifle, you know, if you want to call it that. Uh, the AR-15 would have come first, though. It was the sporter rifle, and the military adopted it. And then you've got, you know... Uh, military in Vietnam being issued these guns and they've, they've never seen anything like them. And of course they shoot really fast. Um, you know, they have a full, full auto option. So, you know, if you get young, you know, relatively untrained men, you know, in combat for the first time, pulling the trigger on a fully automatic M16, you know, uh, they were issued 20 round clips, uh, or sorry, magazines. God, somebody's, <laughs> somebody I'm sure has lost their mind that I said that, but, uh, <laughs> If you were in Vietnam and you were like, you know, 19 or 20 and you pulled this trigger on, on a gun uh, like this, and I fired, you know, M16s in the United States, you know, they, they, they do, um, empty relatively fast. If you haven't got, you know, a full size 30 
round magazine, you know, a standard size magazine. And, uh, you know, I'm sure there's some American right now cheering because that, that was the magazine that it was designed to use, you know, uh, a 30 round, well, the 21st and, uh, and then they graduated to a 30, I believe. Uh, I don't know if that happened during the war or not, but uh, I, I do believe I saw a lot of 20 rounders uh, back then. So if you were a young man in the jungle and of course, you know, you've heard about this horrible enemy that will, you know, perhaps chop you to pieces if they capture you. So, you know, you might be a little bit edgy as you're, you know, inching your way through some pretty ugly terrain and, you know, you, pull the trigger a couple of times and that 20 round magazine would empty pretty fast. Uh, you know, it was a gas driven rifle. And, and so I understand somebody told me once that they had some issues with the original ball powder and something about the load was gumming up the gas systems. But anyway, so, but it, it is, it is really an interesting part of history. You know, this, this firearm, this military version of this firearm was in Vietnam and, you know, to, uh, to see that they made guns, post-war that made use of some of those original parts, you know, that are interchangeable and uh, created civilian versions of these great rifles, uh, you know, that hold such a fantastic place in history. Even if it is an embarrassing point, it's a reminder, uh, you know, for the people that actually own, you know, uh, classic pieces of history, uh, they recognize some of the importance that they have. And uh, it's really important to note that, you know, the uh, M16 rifle kind of marks uh, much of what the Vietnam War was, in, in my mind anyway. I, I was raised on things like Platoon and, you know, Full Metal Jacket. And, and so this this original look, and I mean, it, it really did evolve over the years and become something completely, you know, different in many ways. Um, you know, things, things have definitely changed. But the original version had these triangular handguards, and, you know, I, I managed to snag one. You know, I, uh, a buddy of mine brought it to my attention and I mentioned him earlier. He comes, he comes to me and he says, this is a cool one. And it's got the sling swivel, like the, the really old kind. And then I think it has a duck bill, uh, flash hider. And so I'm like getting excited and anybody who's ever bought, you know, a classic firearms knows, you know, this excitement, uh, you know, when you realize that it's something you want, it's in the shape you want. Um, you know, it's what you're looking for. It's within your price range, you know, whether or not you feel like, uh, you can afford to buy it, you know, it's something you don't want to pass on. And, you know, I had an opportunity and I thought, you know, <sighs> you know what, this has been the craziest year ever. I'm buying a rifle during that year and it's going to be that one. And so I contacted the gentleman selling it and, you know, I'm really excited, you know, while I'm speaking to him, you know, I asked him a couple of questions and then, you know, told him that, you know, I would really appreciate uh, this rifle. And so, you know, we talked about it a bit and, and we're not sure, but we think it's maybe like a mid to late eighties, uh, vintage, uh, AR 15, a two rifle. And so it's got, you know, all the old features and, uh, the old triangular handguards and, uh, there's an absence of the fencing. There's no forward assist, nothing at all. It's like, it, it really is a, a cool look and it, it matches, uh, you know, very much the XM. Which, of course, was the next movement in its evolution into a shorter carbine version, much like the modern-day M4 rifle that the military use. 
So, you know, like this, the opportunity to snag one of these has got me kind of jazzed because, uh, you know, I don't get excited about guns that often anymore. But I saw this one and I thought, wow, what a great opportunity. And, you know, I know you guys will love it. We'll put it on the channel for sure. Um, you know, I'll have Brian walk us through. He'll 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 really have some fun with it. He has a great deal of knowledge regarding the history of these rifles. And so uh, we're probably going to get one of those on the uh, on the page sometime soon. We'll have to find a place to shoot it, of course, uh, you know, with everything unlocked down right now it's going to be uh, kind of exciting uh, i know a lot of people are pretty unhappy uh, in ontario that they're not able to continue to shoot uh you know i'm so glad that uh you know the west seems to have not fallen suit completely uh i'm not sure exactly what the state of affairs is out west right now but i know that uh, they held out uh, a little longer than we have here in ontario we haven't been able to shoot uh, for the people out there that you know, I have the ability to go out onto private property. You are the lucky ones. And, uh, you know, if you have non-restricteds, uh, you know, folks, I will always remind you, uh, don't get tempted uh, to uh, take with you at any time uh, into an area that might be shooting uh, non-restricted firearms. Please do not bring your restricteds with you. It is a bad idea. Don't make the mistake of making the rest of us look bad. Everybody wants to get out and shoot. Uh, I get that, and it's very important that we abide by the rules as set out. They'll be waiting for one of us to screw up badly so that they can put it in the newspaper. Don't be that guy. And on that note, thank you so much for listening. Hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe to us on YouTube and on Instagram. And as always, Canada, don't forget to shoot straight. Stay safe.